0: Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solution from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Hey, the show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group, and we are so excited that you have uh, tuned into this podcast again. Uh, we are doing the show from the beautiful place uh, called Charlotte, North Carolina. It is gorgeous here in the Queen City. Um, wherever you're listening to this show, I hope it's gorgeous for you. But I can tell you that even if for some reason it's gloomy, we have a guest that's going to turn it around for you today. There is no doubt. Um, even in our pre-interview chat, I, I get a great, great, great vibe from him. Uh, so his his multiple books and all of his years of experience is cool, but not nearly as cool as kind of the chemistry and the vibe I got from him. So I'm excited for you guys to to meet our new friend today. Uh, We start solutions from the huddle the same way every time, So, and that's in prayer. So we're going to do that again today, and then I'm going to introduce our new friend. So we always do this. We just say, Lord, please bless the show, our guests, our sponsors. Um, Just let it be an amazing show, and let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Amen. Okay, friends. Yeah. Guys, check it out. So today, I'm really excited. We have got a financial like wizard. I think, I don't know if wizard's the official <laughs> accredited term. Okay. But our new best friend is Ryan, Wright. He's an income, an income hacker, uh, started his first business at 15. Right. So when the rest of you were doing lemonade stands, uh, he was doing big things. And at 19, he'd already sold two profitable companies. Um, Then he started a real estate profession uh, at at 21 and and did all the different things from real estate agent to loan officer to investment properties. Uh, And today, he's a published author of multiple books. uh, And I'm so excited. Our new best friend, Ryan Wright, is on the program. Ryan, thank you so much for being here.
1: Man, that's quite an introduction. I got a lot to live up to.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Listen, do not mess this up. Yeah, really. I'm feeling it now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, it's going to be awesome. And I'm, I'm so excited because um, We have had some really excellent people recently on the program, and I I know we're you know like in sports when you're on a hitting streak like we're in the streak like so I know we got another big hit today with you Ryan Let's um, do it Let's do here, it Here's what I always try to start with though because like your bio and I only read half of it right There's a lot of other accomplished <laughs> things and they're gonna get to hear it as we talk today But I want to know like where did you start from uh, Where did you come from You're an att- you're an accomplished talented person today. But I just kind of want to know like a little bit more about how the story started. What's the origin on on Wolverine? Like, like those are my favorite
1: movies. Give me the origin on Ryan Wright. You know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was really blessed to have parents that were entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, I, I, didn't really realize that. So my dad was a chiropractor and, um, my mom, um, was mostly a stay at home mom. She worked a little bit in the office with my dad. Um, my mom was like, she read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like the day it was published, you know? Um, awesome. And so that was like a big deal. And and one of the things that, that they did is they were pretty open about money and finance and what things cost at the dinner table. Um, so uh, I think one of the big things for me is it wasn't a taboo subject. Um, mm. It's usually like, don't talk about money. That's like the worst thing. Um, and that wasn't the case in the house I grew up in. Um, okay. And I didn't appreciate that until, you know, years later. Um, Where I'm like, oh my goodness, that was that was intentional. Um, That was not uh, that was not by default, you know. And so I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, and you're so. What a good
0: point, by the way. People treat money and the talking of money as this like demonstrative, terrible thing. Uh, And I and I like how you said your your folks were actually like intentional. They weren't just talking about it and oh by the way our son's sitting at the table oops like they they were doing it by design you said
1: yeah and and take it even a step further it was like if we went on a family vacation it was like this is how much the vacation's going to cost us and this is how much the flight's going to be and this is how much food's going to be and it was like oh my goodness that's actually a lot of money um i didn't realize you know th- realize that and that started to get a perspective of how much a dollar's really worth i think uh, especially as a young kid you just don't realize um, what what a dollar is really worth and what it takes to make it. And so um, that, that, was, that was kind of the formative years.
0: So you're a kid at the dinner table. Are you feeling anxiety and stress and like, oh my God, um, my parents spent that much money on the toy or the <laughs> trip? I mean, was it overwhelming, right? Because when you're at a younger age, I don't care how brilliant you are, your emotional IQ is lower at six than it is at 66, or at least we hope so, right? Like <laughs> it, at least we... there's enough people on TV now and radio where you go. I don't, I think they stopped developing at 15, but, 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 but but was it overwhelming for you, Ryan? Or did you, were you able to
1: compartmentalize and figure it out? No, quite the opposite, because it's kind of like that attitude of like, um, rather than being worried about how I can, being worried if I can afford it, it's how can I afford it? You know? So it was kind of changing that mindset from Um, my parents weren't really all about like, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. It was more like, this is what it takes. And is it worth it to put in the time necessary to get it? So it's like, Hey, this is going to be this much money. I don't know what, whatever you want to take. Um, is it worth it? You know? Um, and they also provided me with opportunities where I could earn money. Um, and so that was always on the table for me. It was like, Hey, you can go earn it. Um, but at a young age, it was like, if you want things like that, you need to go pay for them. Um, but will provide some opportunities for you to do that. So I think quite the opposite. It gave me an appreciation for it. And it gave mm-hmm. me the mindset of like, if I want something, I can go get it. Um, the question just is, is it worth the effort necessary to go get it? Or would I rather do something else with that money? Or is there a better use for that money?
0: I love that. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of a scenario where that, that wouldn't apply to, like, I'm trying to think of the, that advice is so it transcends financial, uh, aspects of, of the human experience, right? Like I wrote down, is it worth it? It's not a matter of, uh, can we afford it? We can, but it's just, how are we going to afford, it? how are we yeah. going to pay for it? And is it
1: worth it? Um, and there's an opportunity cost, right? Cause if I choose yeah. to spend my money in one way, then I can't, ch- spin it in another way, right? So it's like, is it worth the opportunity cost of this versus Mm. that? And that starts opening the mindset quite drastically. I, I mean, the reality is, is we all can afford Almost anything we want, um, or we have to put in the effort to get what we want. But is is that really worth it? Right. Re- rather than buying a, a house, you could go buy some fancy sports car. But that seems kind of stupid to me. Um, you know what I mean? So I'd rather invest and go buy a house. You know. So, but that's a choice, right? Other people may say, "Oh, I want a fancy sports car, and I want to live in you know in a dump." Okay, that's that's a choice. You know. So uh, there's an opportunity cost there.
0: Yeah. Unpack opportunity cost, right? Because yeah, I think I think that. So our audience, the, the majority of our audience are are entrepreneurs, business professionals, salespeople. But but you know, I, I even think that that term is lost on what we would like to think is uh, the more affluent listener of a business gotcha. program. Uh, but but unpack that for me because I, as a business coach, try so desperately to get folks to understand and feel the magnitude and weight of an opportunity cost, which in many cases is not tangible. So it's hard to get someone to catch it. Could you help us with that? Cause clearly you didn't just catch it, you did something with it. Talk yeah. talk about opportunity it cost a little bit.
1: So the idea with the opportunity cost is, is if I choose to do something, then I'm not doing something else. And what I could have done with something else is my opportunity cost. So, for example, let's just take a money. If I take $100,000 and I invest it in a mutual fund and I make a 1% return, my opportunity cost is what I could have done with 100000 Maybe I could have done a hard money loan with 100000 and could have made a 15%. I just have 100000 So, it may be, you know what, I am I do have an opportunity cost. I'm still going to put it as a mutual fund because safety and security is more important to me than the upside potential if I did a hard money loan. Um, so, that's the opportunity cost. It's what else you could have done. And opportunity cost applies more than just money. It also applies time. And that's the big thing for, for um, entrepreneurs that they forget about. Um, lots of times as entrepreneurs, and I'm guilty of this myself, it's like, I can do everything. Um, but yeah. the problem is you can't do everything. And that <laughs> means there's an opportunity cost for what you're choosing to do. You're not going to be able to do something else. And yes, we think we're going to live to 100. And we think we're going to have in you know 3,000 hours in a day. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is we're, as entrepreneurs with visionaries and those types of things, we start thinking so big, it takes a lot to make some of those visions come about. And it usually takes a lot longer than we think. So what I'm choosing to spend my time doing now or the opportunity costs. I'm choosing to spend my time and be here with Titus. I'm not able to do something else, right? So there's an opportunity cost there. Now, that might be a great opportunity cost or it may not be. It, that all depends on what I what I choose to do with it and what I make out of the opportunity I have right now.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know, yeah, well, yeah, I think that is such a clear, unpacked way of communicating that. Um, I think that opportunity cost gave birth to things like automation systems, processes. Right? I mean, we realized if I'm going to be doing this right now, I can't do that. Yeah. And so, had we not come to the conclusion that opportunity cost is so great and is so important, we wouldn't have given birth to automation and systems and tools and mass production. There would have not been an industrial uh, error, right? We would, Henry Ford wouldn't have said, wait a minute, you're excited about the car, I'm excited about the assembly line, That's <laughs> right? right? I love that. That's beautiful. So, we're talking with Ryan Wright who who has a huge background in financial uh real estate he's written a couple books uh, lives in salt lake city with, with his wife and kids loves uh, i i got snowballing and or, or snow, snowmobiling and fishing um i don't do you, mind snowballing either you know yeah 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 <laughs> I, uh, I instantly the minute i said snowballing i thought of the the christmas movie right where the kid where um he, he licks the pole yeah yeah right? a christmas characters yeah, Carol. Christmas. And, and, yeah. And they have the snowball fight. So yeah. <laughs> isn't that funny? Anyway, so, so I, I wanted to read a couple of your hobbies because I wanted to say when, when you're hanging out with your family, right? When you're fishing and when you're snowmobiling, in those moments, you chose that that was more valuable of an investment of your time than whatever the hell else you did, right? That's right. How do you, when you don't know what you don't know, and this is, you know, kind of a, I think it's a deep question. Maybe you're going to crush it and tell me that I'm thinking too small, but when you don't know what you don't know, how are you able to measure? This was more important. So I did this with my time, or I'm going to do that thing. I don't know. So I don't even have a measurement, right? Mm -hmm. Having this, this podcast right now, there's no measurement, right? I, I, there's no way to know definitively that this was more valuable than what you, what else you could have been doing. How do you tap into your gut? your experience, your insight, whatever it is, how do you do that? How do you make that, that best, in
1: some cases, guess? Yeah, when you're evaluating that, Ryan? The simplest way to do that is purely financial, right? It's like, do I make more money doing this or do I make more money doing that? So that's like the easy thing, but that's not what you're really asking me, right? Because if it's financial, like where am I getting the highest ROI, return on investment? So then we're looking at return on time, right? What's my return on time? And that's going to be a more difficult question because that's really going to depend on my personal financial situation. You may be in a financial situation where it's like, I need to spend the time earning earning more money. That's going to be the top. And then you'll get to a point where you're like, hey, where's the balance here? I need to be a good dad and a good husband and you know that type of stuff. So where's the balance in that? Um, am I investing enough into those relationships? Um, I've heard it explained before as being a professional plate spinner. You know, It's like, hey, you've got a bunch of plates and you got to keep them all going. And sometimes they're going to slow down and some, some are going to be going fast, but you got to keep all the plates spinning. You got to keep all the balls in the air. You're a juggler, you know, whatever the case is. So it's like, hey, I'm not always going to be doing great at everything, but am I keeping all the plates spinning? um, So, so I'm doing, you know, what I can in that. I think that's a big thing. Uh, In addition to that, it's like, I think you also have to have some perspective. Um, I appreciate you starting out, um, you know, kind of with with your your prayer on the show, where it's like, hey, let's let's get some perspective here and let's decide, because I think it really comes down to what your core values are as an individual, like what really is most important. And this is something mm. that I see a lot of entrepreneurs saying is like, hey, I'm doing all this for my family. I'm doing all this for my family. Well, you know, I use that same line, and then one day I was with my wife, and she's like, I really don't care about this, like. Let's don't do (laughs) it. And I'm like, but I'm doing it for you. But I don't really care about that. You know, like I'd rather that you were home more than you were, you know, making more money. Like the extra money isn't worth it to me. So I think entrepreneurs quite frequently get this, like I'm doing it for my kids. And then if you really went and talked to your kids, they'd be like, I'd rather you just play catch with me every day uh, and came home early. Come on, man. I feel like for a moment
0: there, did you guys hear Ryan start preaching? I mean, that was good, man. No, I get it. That's so awesome. And, you know, I give this advice all the time. Tell me if I'm crazy. But like I tell folks. I love that they'll hire me, or maybe they'll hire you to provide coaching and analysis and in perspective. But sometimes they're like, I got to figure out how to how to make the customers happy, so I hire a marketing firm, or I hire a coach, or an analysis person, and like they never get around to asking the customer, mm-hmm. like. Or in this case, I didn't ask my wife or my kids. I told the world I was doing this for them, but I didn't actually touch base with them yeah. and get their feedback. I tell folks like, please continue to pay. For Ryan and Titus to coach you and advise you. We love it. We're excited. We're grateful. We're honored to be a part of your your equation, but we got to be just a part of the equation, right? Like if you're missing out on talking to the end user, that's the calculator normally comes up with an error symbol when you don't have all the data in there, right? So, how important is it to actually get the feedback of those people? Uh, Because what you just said was so eye opening where you go, the wife says, honey, I'm glad you thought you were, (laughs) thanks so much for being willing to sacrifice for me, but if you would touch base with me, I'll give you the recipe.
1: Yeah, it's right? so true. Well, and then there's this other thing about fulfillment, right? Like, um, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that are, are grinding it and doing those things. They're not in touch with their family or their spouse or even themselves. And then they mm. find out like the success didn't isn't doesn't bring the fulfillment. Like mm. I made more money, but so, what? I don't have anybody to celebrate it with. My health has declined. My, you know what I mean? Like, I've, the, the cost that I've put it at has been so high that the reward wasn't worth it. Um, And I see a lot of people that chase that pot at the end of the rainbow only to discover its fool's gold once they get there. And that's not to say success isn't wonderful and we shouldn't be striving for it, but it all has to be in proportion to the overall game plan of what we want, how we want to design our lives. And I talked about this earlier, this whole draft by design, not by default. And I find that so many people are doing things by default and not by design, um, where it's like, how do I want my life to be? Money needs to be a part of that. Relationships need to be a part of that. Um, You know, health, you know, um, religious beliefs, you know, whatever, service, whatever. What does your life need to look like so you can get the fulfillment? Um, And I find a lot of people that the money is more glamorized and it's easier to achieve. Like we talked about like, oh, okay, mm. if I can make X number of dollars, I've made it. But the the, um, the things that are more meaningful, the relationships, the, the kids, the fulfillment, the friends and that type of stuff is harder to measure. So it typically gets put to the wayside. But mm. then when the financial goals are achieved, there's no one there to celebrate them with. Um, and then there's some loneliness and some like, oh, well, nobody's even excited for me, now what?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Now, what is now? You realize you have to use some of the profit from that money to pay for things to make you happy, right? Like, (laughs) right. Now now you have to buy a a fancy sports car because there's no one sticking around to hang out to be excited with and for you. Um, One of the things that was really interesting. uh, I love the term you've used, income hacker, right? I mean, the word hacker has become, uh, it, it started off scary. Now it's kind of cool, like a little yeah, bit, yeah, right? Like yeah, yeah. we call it life hacks and things like that. Talk a little bit about how you came up with that term and really what that means to the audience, because I want to, before, we, before we're before we done with this interview, I want to get to your books. I want to talk about yeah. what it looks like um, to be financially free in 10 years or less by using your income hacks Um, and, And what some of the tips in your books are, I would imagine those things were birthed out of the concept of being
1: a financial or an income hacker. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Our whole mission at Income Hacker is financial freedom in 10 years or less outside the Wall Street casino. Um, so for us we're really outside of Wall Street that's kind of our thing and and the reason for that has to do with influence versus um, being able to make decisions right like if i go buy home depot stock i have no control over what happens some other guy is making those decisions but if i decide to invest in real estate i have a lot of control rent it sell it do the Different types. So, our whole thesis is don't delegate your financial success. Um, Take control of your financial success. Take ownership of your financial success. And in most cases, we believe people can do a lot better job investing outside of Wall Street than they can within Wall Street um, by learning some financial principles, um, working at those, and designing the life that they want to achieve and working towards that.
0: Yeah. What's an ideal? So when somebody's listening to that, that could be overwhelming still because that's that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, how does how do we break that down into somebody who's just doing life? Yeah, whether they're whether they're working for the man, right, and they're like, I hate this job and I want to start my own business, totally, or whether they're a small business trying to go from small to big and they're they're coming across some roadblocks financially, whether it be from budgeting or or allocating resources or getting approved, getting funded for their vision, their dream. Yeah. Um, how does somebody take doing life and uh, give give me an example or, or two of a person that wants to do or is trying to do or wish they could have and uh, and and maybe going to dohardmoney.com is a good a good place for them to
1: get started. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So I think the biggest thing is people lack vision. Um, and so that's the biggest start is just like, what does the ideal life look like for me? Um, and when we usually start with this, it's like, oh, I want a private jet and an island and all this type of stuff. And then we introduce the idea of opportunity costs and be like, you know what? You could have that if you want it. Um, let's let's get really real about this. You really could own that, but do you know what it would take to get that? Um, and are you willing to do what it takes to get that? And honestly, um, flying first class is pretty nice. Do you really need your own jet and spend $2 million a year? There's a lot better things you could do with that money. So then you start getting more realistic and being like, well, what's the ideal? And once we get off the money side of that, like what you're looking for financially, and we start looking at the other things in relationships and service and the things that bring fulfillment, into life, what does that really look like? Um, mm. You know, and then as we start building those things out, then it's like, okay, so how can you have your ideal life within the context? And let's build the financial side around that. Um, we call that a blueprint. A blueprint is like where you're at and where you want to go. And then what we do is reverse engineer it. Um, so, like one of the things we do at Do Hard Money is we say, "Hey, um, you." you, you want to do a deal. You want to do a real estate deal. So that's the end outcome that we want. So if you want to do a real estate deal, how many offers do you need to make? How many houses do you need to go visit? How many prospects do you need to talk to? How many phone numbers do you need to call? How many houses that are in, in bad condition do you need to, to follow up? And we reverse engineer this and then we break it down week by week and say, statistically, nationwide, this is, ba- this is the conversion rates. So you need to find this many houses driving around so you can get this many phone numbers, so you can have this many phone calls, so you have this many conversations, so you can have this many meetings, so you can do this many offers, so you can end up with one property. And that's reverse engineering. And I believe this idea of reverse engineering our lives as well. If, if this is where I want to go to, how do I ver- reverse engineer so I can end up achieving what I'm looking to along the way?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And I think somebody walking us through that process too, right? I mean, all of this we live in this world now where, you know, we, we just ask Siri and Google and Alexa, um, you know, and, and, and by the way, like, as I say that my devices start blinking right here, here in the studio, but um, to have an actual person and maybe to have some intuitive software that actually helps walk us through that is probably far more valuable than we could even imagine. I want to talk with you a little bit more about that, Ryan, Um, right on the other side of our break. I want to ask you, how do we get people that lack vision to figure out how to open their eyes or to go stand next to somebody that already has vision? Um, and, and I want to ask about drafting by design versus default, because you said that too quick. And that's, that's you can write a book on that, I think. So I want to okay. ask you a little bit about those two things. Uh, Real quick, we always take just a a short break. We just want to say thank you to the, the, the businesses and companies that sponsor and believe in what we're doing. It's pretty simple. Personal development and professional growth really matters to me, to Collaborative Solutions Group. And so we created Solutions from the huddle to go get people that are not named Titus to give their perspectives. Uh, me bloviating about what I think about growth and development is is a part of the pie, but it's a small part. So we brought Ryan and, and lots of other folks, but some of our partners like Novant Health and, and Carolina Auto Warehouse and uh, Speedy and Grease Monkey and, and uh, Shepherd Law, and there's a lot of them. So if you go to team-csg.com, team-csg.com, just click on the solutions from the huddle tab click on any of the logos for all the really cool businesses that believe in what we're doing. You'll learn a lot more about them. And if you know anything about me and CSG you know we wouldn't stand next to a brand that's not worth standing next to. So go check them out. Uh, you'll be glad you did. We're talking with Ryan Wright right here on Solutions from the Huddle. Uh, Ryan is the, uh, the the CEO calling the shots over at uh, Do Hard Money. He is an income hacker. Uh, and I think if there's anything to do with real estate, he's probably your guy, right? So from flipping homes to making smart investments. And, and really one of the biggest things that I think catches my eyes, Ryan, is the get financially free intent years or less. I mean, how many people right now are listening to that thinking, no way, are you kidding me? And 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 what I'd rather you think is, well, if I started this eight years ago, I'd be two years away from what he says is possible. That's probably the better way to look at it with less skepticism. Um, but let's see if we can convert a few people. Um, talk a little <laughs> bit, talk a little bit about drafting by design, not default, and talk a little bit about how that has any impact on people that may have some vision issues? Maybe there's, maybe there's some dirt in their eyes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tackle the vision a little bit. I think the vision is a lack of faith. Um, where it's like, hey, I need to be able to see the future here. And it's like, you've got to have some faith. And that's where I really think like a mentor or somebody that has been there really comes in handy. Because um, what I find that most people quit way too early, it's kind of the old parable, the whole acres of diamonds, you know, where the guy's trying to find diamonds and he, he sells his farm and goes over the whole world. And then he ends up jumping off a cliff. And the person he sold his farm to is, uh, you know, going through the stream and sees something listening and it ends up being the biggest diamond farm in the world. Um, You know, like that type of stuff where it's like, Hey, Let's let's find a mentor. Let's let's have some faith. And and to your point on the 10 years, like I'm less concerned that someone does it in 10 years and I'm more concerned that they get on the journey. Um yeah. so I, I look at goals and those things more as North stars. Like I want to be pointing in the right direction. And and I think that that distance, um, I, I think that speed's more important than the distance we've gone. Like, am I moving, excuse me, I think direction is more important than distance. Like how far we've gone is less important than where we're heading. So, you know, if you're, some people may be able to devote a lot of time to it. Some people might not be able to devote as much time to it. Like everybody's journey is going to be different, but if I have a North star that I'm pointing to, and I know I'm going on the right direction, don't be, don't be disappointed that some people are moving faster than you. There's also people that are moving slower than you. I just want to make sure I'm pointing in the right direction and working towards it. That's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, I tell, that's good. That's so good, by the way. I, I try not to, I, you know, the, the weird thing about these Zooms and 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 podcasts, um, and you have a podcast, I want you to talk about yours as well, Ryan. But you got to be quiet and let the person talk because the recording will, I'm over here wanting to be an active listener going, yes, that's good. I'm with, but I have to be quiet because I, I want them to hear you and it, I don't want it to pick me up, but I'm so in agreement with, with everything you just said. How about we, we be less concerned about how many pounds I lost and maybe that I just decided I'm going to eat more salads, right? I think Maybe to get started and not have this analysis paralysis might be, might be a, a, a great way to go. Um, what about someone? So you said that part of the reason that we may lack vision is because we lack faith. And, uh, and you gave maybe a how-to on, on how we can overcome that. But one of the things that I've known to be true is that some people craft vision and some people carry it out. Now, I'm not saying that if you're someone who carries out vision, you can't craft it, you can't create it. But I watch a lot of owner, Ryan, tell me if this is true. I watch for you. I watch a lot of entrepreneurs and and owners They craft vision, right? They create it. They had the vision, but then they also want to carry it out, right? So they don't delegate. They don't let other people help them. And then I watch them sometimes get mad that maybe the department manager, some of the leaders in their company aren't uh, crafting vision. And I go, well, time out. Some people have to craft it. Some people have to carry it out there's this 1% that do both, right? These are the LeBron Jameses. These are the the Whitney Houston's, right? These are the people that are like uh, crazy, amazing, wonderful. But how do you get somebody to realize maybe it's not the time for me to craft it? Or, you know, like maybe I need to just carry out some really good vision and get good at carrying it out, you know, be a good student so I can be a teacher one day, be a great follower so I can lead. How do you get folks that maybe say, Maybe part of the way I'm going to get good at crafting vision and having faith is go stand next to somebody that's got vision and help them carry the damn thing out. Like, am I crazy or is that, am I onto something there? What do you think about that?
1: No, I totally agree with that. I think that's one of the best things you can do is, is take the footsteps of somebody else that may be being part of their organization. That may be having them as a mentor or as a coach that may be following, but it's like, who has done what I want to do and let me do what they did. Um, and so the closer I can get to somebody that has accomplished the things that I want to accomplish, the better off I'm going to be in moving in that direction. Um, so I, I fully agree with that. It's like uh, jump on the bandwagon with somebody that you know has been been where you want to go yeah modeling success right i mean uh, one of my favorite quotes success leaves clues
0: right just just get good at reading the clues tell us a little bit about um what caused you to want to pen to paper some books i mean um and you've got is it four ryan four books Yeah, i've got a few (laughs) i mean i wrote one it was everything i had to figure out how how to do that my wife helped me with it um uh, and 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 I haven't completed the next forty ideas, right? But you could, you started and finished four. It's pretty darn impressive. What what stimulated the birth of the first one? And tell us a little bit about why we need to go get a copy for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think the one that's probably uh, best for all the listeners is "How to Get More Money You Can Ever Handle: A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Funding Deals." And so really, it's about this whole concept of how to get deals done. Um, Most people look at real estate and they're like, I don't have the money to do real estate. And what people don't realize is that there's a lot of ways like hard money companies like we are that provide the capital to do the rehab and the purchase and those things. So it really comes down to reverse engineering your success in finding those deals. I've also got another real estate book on short sales and I've got a few others. But I think the big principle with this, um, which by the way, my wife was my first editor on my very, very first book. Um, so, but the whole concept here, um, is I want to just write down and I've got another one in my head too, but I just wanted to document like how to do things. Um, this is kind of the recipe for success, um, the way that I see it. And so that was kind of the, the, overarching. Um, I also had just had a lot of people asking me like how do I do this how do I do this and it was like can I take you to lunch can I do can I buy you lunch and buy this I'm like no but you can buy my book and here you go because again I have a limited amount of time um, and so I'm like how can I help people the most with the limited amount of time I have and so we put those put those together.
0: Yeah, how to how to get more money uh, than you can ever handle? Um, it looks like it's available every place that a book is sold, Amazon and so on. Is there a particular place you want them to to head in the direction of to get a copy?
1: Yeah, if you come over to our website, dohardmoney.com, you'll be able to get a free e copy if you want to. Oh, wow. um, but if if you're like me and you like the if you like the hard book, you can get it from Amazon or wherever. So, no, oh, I like it. So let's let's as we
0: land this plane here. Um, what a great interview. So many great tips. I appreciate your perspective, Ryan. But uh, we we want to speak maybe to some some real estate-minded folks here before we put a pin in it. Some folks out there that are wanting to get into real estate. You've been a real estate agent. I am. You, yep. You've been on the loan side of things.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: The investor side of things. How does somebody who's been thinking about it, how does somebody get into that? Right? We We've We've had other people with some experience, but I don't know that they've gone into, into great detail, but how does somebody take what they see on TV, what they read about? Like, what a, what a wonderful life. A lot of folks I know just think real estate agents don't have a job. They don't clock in. They don't report to anybody. They just make a ton of money and they get to look at cool homes every day. That's probably not what it is, yeah. right? Uh, we, you know, Give us a little insight on somebody who's thinking about getting started. Should they get started? What are the first
1: few steps they should look at? Great, yeah, and and you're right. Real estate agents don't have a job because most of them don't make any money. Uh, the average agent does less than one transaction per year, and right now there's more homes on there's more real estate agents than there are homes on the market. If that puts any perspective for you across the United States, so um, the first thing for real estate investing, I would say, is you don't need to be an agent to be an investor, um, and you need to think like an investor. And I get asked all the time, like, I want to be in your situation. I want to be in your situation, and I, my advice is always the same buy a property every year, Put all your money towards paying it off. And in 10 years, you'll look like a genius. Um, if you simply bought a property every single year, took all the additional cash flow. And what I did is I snowballed it. So as I bought more properties, I took all the cash flow and my excess money and I went to paying off one property. And then once that one property got paid off, I could take all of that rent over here, extra money I was making for my income, put it over here, pay off that one. And that was really my dad's strategy. And he did that with plexes. where it was like, let's, let's buy a property a year, let's get really focused and take all of the extra money and apply it to one, one mortgage rather than spreading it across to all of them. And then we can work on the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and if you did that and you own 10 properties and each one of them gave you, uh, you know, a thousand bucks a month or $2,000 a month, you're 10 to $20,000 a month in income. And, uh, you know, if you can't live off, 250,000 to 150 to 250,000 I think there's something wrong with you. Um you mm. know so that's that's like a very very simple way. Now there's lots of other ways where you may want to start wholesaling properties or fix and flipping properties. You may want to get in the money game. Um, we take private investors that do help fund some of the deals. So that that's another way you can get into real estate. So there's a lot of ways to get into real estate. I am not the guy that's like hey burn the ships and quit your day job and do all that type of stuff. My big thing is I think everybody has two jobs even if you're self-employed you still have two jobs and the job is you've got your day job to put food on the table to take care of your family that's important your second job is your investment job how are you going to grow your wealth and it's the whole richest man in babylon type of situation where you're like hey i need to make sure i'm taking some of that money and i'm investing it i need to make sure i'm living on less than i make and i don't care if you make a million dollars you make 20,000 dollars every single time you get money some of that has to be set aside for you to invest um, it's not a, a matter of how much you're making it's about how much you're investing um, we see the garbage man that becomes a millionaire we see the the janitor that becomes a millionaire you know then they simply just learn this principle of hey i'm going to live on less unfortunately i think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, spend more than they make quite frequently um, and they don't think about how am i going to reinvest in myself how am i going to reinvest in my company and how am i going to invest in my long-term growth um, where they're just betting that the future will always keep going the way that it has in the past. And that's usually not the case. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, we, we feel like there's more road in many cases than there is. We, we, we think there's, there's so many more miles. I think earlier you said, we're all going to live to a hundred is what we think. Right. Um, and, and I try to remind people often that um, we're just not really sure, right? We don't know. And so how are we capitalizing and how are we, you know, consolidating and and taking advantage of, you know uh, uh, compounding of anything, energy, effort, talent? And so those kind of questions uh, stimulate some of the best thought and best conversations I've ever had. Um, we're talking with Ryan Wright. He's in charge of all things over there at Do Hard Money. I want you guys to make sure you take some time. Go to DoHardMoney.com. Um, and and while you're at it, either there at the website or or anywhere books are sold, get, get a copy of How to Get More Money Than You Can Ever Handle. Um, I think you'll be happy to do those two things. Before we let you go, though, Ryan, um, we always like to ask people of significance, leaders, experienced folks like yourself. We, we want to ask this question, and, and most folks um, are kind of dumbfounded when they hear it because they don't see it coming, but I, where have you failed, right? Like, I've learned a lot of things through school and education and insight and modeling success, and we talked about a lot of that today. Where did you, where's one or two nuggets and strategic, really highly intentional actions that you think some listeners should take advantage of? And you only learned it because you screwed up. (laughs) You learned it because like my my mentor, John Maxwell says, he wrote a book all about it because sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, right? So where's one or two areas where you go, man, I totally screwed the pooch on this, but it caused me to never do it that same way again. Yeah. Um, If you could be authentic and raw a little bit with us and share one or two miscues, Uh, I think our listeners would be so in your debt.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think the biggest thing with failure is to accept it. So I think I fail regularly and daily. Um, so there's mistakes I make. So I'll give you a sim- simple example. and I'll give you more of a financial example. So um, a couple of months ago, I got my team together. We were working on a new process and um, I, we got some input from them. I worked out a new process on how loan flows were going to go this, 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 this. It's pretty complicated. There's 170 steps and we wanted to kind of rearrange and rework the way people are going to do things. So we walked in this meeting and I'm like, this is the way to do it. And so I'm like, hey, I just want to show you I've already made the decision and this is how we're going to do it. And everybody left that meeting just pissed. They were just (laughs) completely pissed. And I walked out of that meeting. I'm like, I completely did this wrong. So then I had to apologize and say, you know what, guys, I went about this wrong. I've been working on this for three months and I've looked at every angle I possibly could. Um, And I got some advice from everybody and I put it all together. I feel like this is the way to go, but that's not the way I should have approached this. I should have came in and said, and this is to my management team, right? I should have gone to my management team and said, here's what I think. Um, Let's talk about each one of those. Um, In the end, I'm going to have to make a choice and I'm going to have to make some tough decisions because there's going to be different interests and different opinions. In the end, I'm going to make the choice, but I would need more collaboration and conversation about it. Um, And so I pulled back and said, hey, guys, I'm putting the pen in this for a minute, I apologize. Let's have some more conversation, and let's move forward with it. Um, and that that didn't go well. That was not that was not a great thing for me, and I didn't handle it. Um, just the other day, I mean, literally just a couple of days ago, um, there was a situation. I had someone do a repair on my boat trailer, and um, it broke again. And so I go up, and it's the same three guys standing there that fixed it. And I'm like. They just broke again. And they're like, that's not the one we fixed. I'm like, absolutely. It's the one you fixed. Like that axle's brand new. The other one's greasy. This one's clean. They're like, no, I'm for sure it's not. And I got a little heated and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere. This, these are the only guys that can help me. I don't really want to get heated with these guys. That was the wrong approach. <laughs> and frankly, right after I said that, I'm like, hey guys, I'm really sorry. I'm just a little frustrated. I really appreciate everything you did. Well, what happens next? All three of them start tearing in, fixing it. Sure enough, I was right. It was the one that they fixed. And so they fixed it for free. Um, but I got in the car and my wife was there and my boys were there. And I'm like, I handled that wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I can be right and not get upset or get defensive. I handled that wrong. Like these are the guys that are gonna help me. They're not the guys that I should be chewing out. Like I'll make it, they'll make it right in the end. We'll make sure that happens. But the way I handle that to get them to do something is is really big. Um, So another quick example is um, we bought a property, and I lost $100,000 on it. Uh, it's the only property I've ever lost money on. And I'm a real estate investor, a real estate agent. I've done this for years. And it was like 10 years into my career. And so I got emotional. Um, I bought a house that my wife and I thought we were going to move into. Um, we wanted to buy it to be in this specific area. Um, we rented the property, lost money every single month renting it. And then we found a better house that we wanted to move into. We bought that one. And then we're losing money on this other one. So we decide to sell it. Well, that's in the middle of two thousand. Eight two thousand and nine because we bought it the height of the market and it was like do I want to slow burn this and lose a little money each month and wait for it to come back up or do I want to just take my licks and move on with life um, and so I took my licks and moved on with life um, hoping that this other investment I did would more than make up for it uh, so you know those are those are things I think giving yourself permission to fail I think it's only failure if you don't learn from it um, mm. and I think there's constant things I think that a lot of entrepreneurs feel like they have to know it all be it all do it all. When the real thing is, I need people smarter than me surrounding me um, that are smarter than me and me saying, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Um, If I've got to be the smartest guy in the room, then I'm probably making some mistakes because I need people to know how to do it better than me. Um, And I think it's also okay to not know the answer. Like, I don't know the answer to this. Um, I think entrepreneurs get called upon all the time to be like the guy that knows everything. It's like, huh, this is an interesting dilemma. How are we going to resolve this? Who can we talk to? What can we do? Yeah, that's tough. It feel,
0: you know, if it's lonely at the top, you're doing something wrong. If, if you feel isolated with all this pressure, uh, you're probably going solo when, when collaborating is right there at your, at your disposal. You know, the biggest thing that I heard, and I, I, I wrote down so many notes from what you just said, Ryan, but one of the biggest things that I kind of took from that is, um, You know, and I heard the, I should have got the team involved, right? I should have got their collaboration versus just dictating to them what a beautiful lesson that word was, but, and then, and then don't, you know, maybe shouldn't get heated with the only folks in a hundred miles that can help you, right? Like great insight there, but probably the biggest thing that I'm most impressed about that seems to be the common denominator in the multiple situations um, is, is you, you really you were able to walk it back. Like I find that the biggest thing that that shakes my soul as an optimistic, positive, hopeful human. I, I'm always the glass. You know, people talk about the glass half full and half empty. My glass is either uh, full or or, or or working on getting full. Right. Like I'm that guy. But the thing that shakes my soul is when people can't walk it back. When people can't just go, you know what? I was wrong, man. And so for me, like the, the most exciting thing and the biggest reason I, sh- I feel comfortable telling the whole world uh, to, to get to know you more is because you seem to have this ability to walk it back. And when somebody is wrong, I go, okay, they're human. Um, I kind of expect people to make mistakes. I kind of expect us all to get it wrong because none of us are perfect. But what's really just beautiful is when someone says, you remember that thing that I did the other day? Wasn't right. And I'm sorry. And we watch, I think, our political leaders fail to walk it back. We watch our religious leaders fail to walk it back. You know, like moms and dads. I've got two young boys, and sometimes as the parent, it doesn't feel good to walk it back, diminishing my authority, lessening my position as dad. When in reality, the authentic walk it back skill set, like, is building a bridge that um, that is you know impossible to blow up in the future, and a bridge I'll need to walk and have access to in the future. So. I mean, what a cool thing that I learned um, from you just now with your examples, but cheers to you for being strong enough to walk it back.
1: You know, I, I appreciate love that. that. Yeah. I think being able to apologize and recognize when you're doing wrong, has got to be one of the key leadership um, that is, is not talked about enough. Um, you know, being able to apologize and be able to, to move on, um, I think it's huge. Um, I tell my kids this all the time. I got two young boys as well. I tell them all the time. I've never been a dad before. I don't have a manual is my first time being a dad, your first time being a kid. Yes. You know, we're going to work together at this and I'm going to make some mistakes and you're going to make some mistakes and I'm going to love you when you make mistakes. And I want you to love me when I make some mistakes. All I'm trying to do is like, when I recognize I make a mistake, I want to own it and I want to talk to you about it. And when you make a mistake, I want you to own it and be like, Hey, I made a mistake here. I shouldn't have talked to mom like that. I shouldn't have addressed it like this. You know, like let's, let's be real and genuine about these things. And and I'll do the same when I mess up, I'm going to tell you, but I, I am going to mess up And I think that's the same thing in business. Like you are going to mess up, you are going to make bad choices. It's what you do about it that really matters. Do you recognize it? And I think in the moment when I sit back and be like, "I'm really messed up," that's where the learning really takes place. If I want to be the macho big guy and just be like, "Oh, I'm," you know, you know, nothing ever goes wrong, then it's like, well, why did the experience even happen? Like you never, never did it. And we are going to make the same mistakes twice, right? We're going to try not to, but you know, sometimes we're going to slip up, make those same mistakes. Well, what do we? we do about that? How do we, you know, what do we do things differently? Um, So I think that the, one of the things that, that um, the, the trial is the blessing is one of our family values, right? Like, so, so many people are like, I don't want any trials. I don't want any hardship. I don't want any hard things. I don't want all that type of stuff. And it's like, you're missing the whole point, right? The the trial is the blessing um, because you've got to find that out of it instead of the absence. You know, it's the, the concept that I find a lot of people get into is like, I'll be happy when dot, 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 you know, I'll be happy when. I retire. I'll be happy when my kids move out. I'll be happy when I have kids. I'll be happy when I do this. I'll be happy when we make money. I'll be happy when we, you know, whatever the case. And it's like, no, just be happy now. Um, You know, for me, it's all like happiness is a choice. You choose to be happy. Um, Happiness is not a circumstance. It's a choice and you can be happy regardless of your circumstances. Um, Happiness is a choice, right? So, instead of like giving our happiness to someone else and letting them hold it or situationally hold it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that when we're young, we go to school every day, uh, th- we learn, uh, we we read the textbook, we study, right? And from learning four or five days in a row, then the teacher gives you a test to kind of grade like how well you learned the material. But then you get older and the learning actually comes after the test, mm. right? Like, Like it's so different. Right, we get tested in life, and it's the tests, it's the tribulations, it's the it's those circumstances that that learning actually happens. It's the complete opposite as young people, right? Learn, 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 learn. Test them. Uh, you get older, and it's like, wait a minute, test. I got tested three times this week. In fact, yep. if one more if one more person tests me while I'm driving on the highway, <laughs> I'm gonna show you what
1: I learned. Right? We we get we get reactive and explosive. Um, I really I like learned- that because usually the test. Um, the test happens before you learn it too. Like something happens with my son. I'm like, I've never learned this and I didn't handle it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like yeah. the test comes before you even had the chance to learn about it. You learn afterwards. Right. So that's it, man. I, that's how life works.
0: And so when, when the people say, I don't want these trials and turbulent, turbulent moments, it's like, well, I don't think you want life. Like, yeah. I don't think you want to live. Um, man, I have enjoyed doing life with you, Ryan, uh, here for this episode of solutions from the huddle, uh, Ryan, right. Uh, over here with with do hard money um, and, and the author of several books that you need to get your hands on. The one that he highlighted was how to get more money than you can ever handle. Just make sure you scoot over to DoHardMoney.com. It sounds like you can get a free ebook if you do that. Ryan, how do you want people to stay in contact with you and all the things that you guys are doing um, after this episode? What's the best way for them to follow? Uh, website to go to? How do they connect what are the steps so that people say, this was a great episode, but I want more? What do they need to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, check us out at dohardmoney.com. If you're interested in, in real estate, uh, any type of real estate investment and those things, we'd love to, to see if we might be a fit there. Um, you can also check us out at Income Hacker. Um, we've got the podcast Income Hacker that we'd love to have you uh, come and listen in on that as well. So I'd say those two ways are probably, probably our best ways. I love it. Ryan Wright,
0: thank you so much for doing the show, man. It's been a real, a real honor. I hope you'll come back in the
1: future. I'd love to. It's been my pleasure to be with you.
0: Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again and we hope you'll join us soon.